Since the invention of fire, man has spun stories of gods and monsters. From a million years in the future, heavy metal presents Wonderwork. You ever wonder what it would be like to travel the moments you've read about? To see what you've learned about? What if you could jump into the body of anybody from the past? Who would it be? Would you be an Olympian as he crosses the finish line? President Kennedy as he secretly hooks up with Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> That's what I call a power trip. Or how about history's most psychotic leaders as they got their just desserts? Are you that breed of sicko? Only you know for sure what is behind the wizard's curtain. Thirtieth of April, nineteen forty-five. I reveled in the thrill of one of history's most famous suicides. Hussein and Gaddafi had been enthralling for the chase element. Their great ends were not so great. Hussein, disheveled and dogged, choked on the rope. Gaddafi, bleeding out and beaten, eventually sustaining the ultimate indignity of sodomy on knife's end, his arse shredded to bits, in a sad diminuendo to what had been a life of dictatorial promise. Hitler, on the other hand, while losing his faculties to a degree, had chosen his own exit. It was a sad tale, really. He never considered himself one of history's monsters. Who does? The hero of his own story, the great dictator, was more broken and disappointed than anything at the finale. The rebirth of the fatherland following that bitter defeat and admission of, in the Treaty of Versailles some decades previous, would never come forth. Fifty-five feet under the chancery, the thousand-year Reich died in a dream. Hitler, more of an enthusiastic administrator, callous, efficient, and ultimately sociopathic, poisoned his dog, his freshly married wife, and then himself. A time tourist, I sat in his consciousness, a swarm of chronologically displaced particles embedded with my own faculties along for the ride. Measuring his emotions, once a storm has always lost, he had become calm, nurturing as he dosed his loved ones. Braun wept, but remained stoic. The most painful blow for Hitler was Blondie, of course. While he loved Eva, she was complicit. Blondie was an innocent. The German shepherd he'd raised from a pup. He stifled tears as she went to sleep beside him and his new wife. History's most famous murderer, though for pure numbers Mao had him pipped, his country in ruins, his dreams in ashes, six million Jews fed into furnaces for the want of nationalized greatness. All he cared about in those final moments was the dog who'd been his life's companion. <laughs> the grief was too much to dwell upon, and the cyanide lingered. A sharp, hot flash from his pistol 
and Hitler's brains dashed the wall of the bunker. I stayed for a while, disassociated, watched as his bodyguards rushed in, the chaos, his hasty cremation. I left before that. The excitement had passed. I fluttered into the adrenaline-addled minds of Soviet troops advancing through Berlin. The Rape of Berlin, they would call it. That was exact. The Russians were driven beyond sanity in the conflict. All the hate that had boiled beyond coherence in the minds of the mass invaders, men pushed to breaking, seizing upon a chance at purest vengeance. Women and children, along with the soldiers, were raped and skewered the length of the city. The unhinged revenge of a nation, with no parameter for restraint. I watched through the eyes of executor and victim, imbibed the information of the tortures and the titillation, the wash and tumult of the most horrid and torrid of emotions. And then, bored of it all, desensitized, I triggered a return to my present, stimulated from my day of historical voyeurism through the trauma-filled eyes of the denizens of the past. If you hadn't noticed, the death knell of dictators is my particular niche, for the moment. Something about the amassing of such great power, only to see it slip free the iron grasp in the final quarter. A bittersweet meta-commentary of the fragile nature of our species, what it is to be human. To have it all only leads to boredom. Rich dilettantes, catered to and fed on bourgeois exclusivity, rarely add more than peripheral fancies and footnotes to our rich historical tapestry. No, adversity is where we truly find ourselves. The gutter births the best of us. And what could be more averse than facing death, pornographically protracted before your enemies and the oppressed? What could be more averse than a bored, listless, and removed mind from another era watching it? If only they knew the debasement. Luckily, we can't interact, I suppose, although there are a trillion simulations for that sort of thing, should you require. In the present, networked to the point of nakedness, yet separated by a billion proclivities, ideologies, interests, kinks, Humanity lives as a hive, a matrix, a biological battery for the benevolent machines, our future deities. Unlike the fears of Descartes or Hawking, the fictions of Cameron or the Wachowskis, rather than domination by machines, we offered curatorship to them, of our entire species, no less. The last colonies of external explorers and pursuers long gone. What remains are those of us who acquiesced to rule by continually updating technologies. God programs that shepherd our species. It gets better with every update. Or does it? Here, we exist in the divine. Energy vessels secured in nutrient tanks, our minds roaming the beyond, the infinite, fourth-dimensional bleed-sailing, inter-universal voyeurism, the ability to live and experience 
a multitude of lives from different angles in an endless spiral of possibilities far beyond the scope of human comprehension, as yourself, as someone else, until the concept of self is an arbitrary thing. Our meaning is wrung from a sense of being, advanced experience and comprehension rather than a sense of self and personal achievement. We are the death of the old ways and the embracing of something far beyond the small scope of simple humanity. But what's that old saying? It has to get really complicated before it gets really simple? And that's where we are now. Me, at least, insofar as I can discern myself from the masses. Could it even be said we are human anymore? Our consciousnesses, as broad or as limited as we choose, a life of exalted information and no limit to hedonism. Sex, pleasure, the nirvana of the latest drug, all of these are available at the neurological command. We could live lives in endless orgiastic drug-induced euphoria. Every variation of the sensually depraved played out in our private mindscape, while on a social level we retain moral sanguinity, still pure, from having done nothing wrong beyond the thinking of it. We are incapable of doing wrong, because everything we do here is only for us, alone in our heads, or perhaps consensually at the most advanced levels of utility. It's fucking boring. I have fucked everything that can be fucked, even things that can't, killed planets with my seed, and ejaculated into the recreated simulation of the Big Bang, while watching myself do it in the third person from every angle on a cocktail of DMT, heroin, and ayahuasca. When you can do these things, so casually, with such ease, the strangest thing happens. They become mundane. There are only so many times you can live out the vastness of reality in all of its enormity before it becomes, well, average. Does that make sense? How can it, you wonder? To enjoy the avarice of God? How can that ever lose its potency? Here's the rub. The one core faucet of the human, once physical, now neurological, is that we adapt to our surroundings, hone our proclivity, and if we're lucky, exploit it. In the past, that might have meant a career, a sport, a hobby, something you're good at, interested in, if you're lucky, of course, and not born to a time, era of culture that is either primitive or reductive. Now, in the vast hives of humanity's final haze, it means pursuing an interest with wanton abandon. Time tourism is mine. The Higgs Singlet Temporal Drop technology, allowing particle swarms of a complete human consciousness to bend through time, identify a select host, and piggyback on our lives for fun. As aforementioned, I'd ingested every drug and lived out every facet of decadence, continued to in a more intellectual sense. Yet where I found my true interest was in the question, some say the ultimate question, 
of humanity. My own, everyone else's. The journey from hominid ape to cordial primates, to pampered batteries and tanks, questing the expanse of the Euclidean plains. I've often wondered, had I been part of the procession of colonists who'd petitioned the split, left for the stars, that forlorn departure as the great tribes separated, would I have decided to stay or to go? The fantasist in me likes to believe I would have left, been an explorer. The pragmatist knows otherwise. I am a homebird, and I enjoy my gilded cage. Albeit, I do not enjoy the idea that I am restricted in the physical, even though my mind has no such restrictions. This is the appeal of time tourism. Living for a day, week, or year, time is arbitrary when consciousness can simply be uploaded following physical expiration. As someone without the great future luxuries of infinite time and resource, what's it like to live a life of genuine adversity? My generation will never know, but we might enjoy the plights of the previous. In The Great Dictators, this question seemed even more pressing. How does someone on the face of it, evil, not in the conventional mustache-twirling parodical portrayals of art and drama, but in that practical, calculated, and biologically inclined sense, the tetrad of evil, a sociopath, a psychopath, at minimum a narcissist. How does someone like that ascend and then descend to such a degree? The rise and the fall, the great drama. <coughs> Pardon me. The tragedy, a game of the divine. To understand the makings of such men, as surely they are the ultimate avatars of progress. Reviled and yet utterly necessary, if anything, is to move along and get done. The drone does not do this work. No, the rules are broken by the vicious, the predators. You don't think so? If it wasn't for evil, there'd be no civilization, no industry, no war, no science at any significant level. We would be content instead to wallow in what we had. Wars, colonial efforts, all of the things that herald progress would instead be rationalized away as a wastage of life or the dispossession and oppression of other peoples. What progress actually looks like is, well, evil. It is a cold actuality, the engine that drives it. And it is this that interests me, because it is in part answer to my great question. Once you strip all else away, what is there? What are we? At our best, I have concluded, evil. There is a human need to leave legacy. Did you know that? And who have left greater legacies than the architects of evil? Of course, you might say we leave a legacy with children, but what is that to me? My genes reproduced with any willing avatar, the concept of parenting 
redundant in an age where algorithms do the nannying and nothing we do has consequence. No, I can have no legacy. Another battery in a jar that is part mine, who will go on to do nothing novel or new. The machines do that, and we simply live the results. No, instead, I indulge in lives that given their period actually mattered were ultimately human. Their toings and froings still with us today, even in the smallest whispers. A primal impact from an age before we acquiesced to the future's singularity. That is legacy. To have risked it all, won it all, lost it all, and left a footprint in time. In the world, before now, people desensitized by machines, connected yet more hateful and divided than ever. The rise of the automated online autism as we lost our ability to navigate the real. Offense and fear from the sanitized cubicle of our bland diurnal. What is that quote? I'd rather live one day as a lion than a thousand years as a sheep. I can't be lion. Only live through them. Experience what that is in all its psychopathic grandiosity. I sleep. In so much as it's possible to separate my dreams from the fugue of being conscious. When I dream, I am a man from another time. A time that matters, because it is finite and people there will expire. There is an impetus that no longer exists. I would like to be part of it. Perhaps I am, though I feel like I am not. He is not me, but I am him. We live together, facets of the same being, but not. We look the same, but not. He is physically manifest, while I am the idea of him. He owns a house, he works hard, pays his taxes, gives to charity. Yet he feels lost, this man. He took medicine to find himself, but it stopped working. Maybe he did too. Maybe that's why he turned to the other drugs. Psychedelics, numbing agents. Things to replace the disarray with fortitude. The fortitude with structure. His house is orderly. His life is orderly. He does everything right. He doesn't take risks with the important things. Fiscal responsibility. The facade of morality. He isn't anything like the heroes he aspires to be and venerates in his simulations. When I awaken, I remember him, a shadow, vagaries, shallow impulses and petty anxieties. He has what I want, this man, but he can't seem to do anything with it. No, forget about him. The aether beckons me into its infinite womb. I source the feed for Philip of Macedon, Alexander's father. 
physically broken from battles that would scar and dominate the Greek city-states and establish the League of Corinth on the cusp of invasion with the Archimedean Empire, ever-touching greatness. Another tactical butcher of dusty Grecian plains, manifest destiny in full swing, only to have it dashed away in a steel stroke at his daughter's wedding. That fatal flaw in the naivety of historical immortals. I have it all, so I am safe. But alas, unprotected and unarmed, his heir, the boy Alexander at his side, and royal guard mere meters away, Philip would meet his fate over the unusual mix of lovers, politics, and arse-rape. Resting, an avid ghost in his consciousness, I walked with the great conqueror, feverishly anticipating the moment his former bedmate, Pausanias, would spring from the shadows to quell his own herd pride with a white-knuckled hand of sharp rage. A moment of madness. The ensuing chaos, as Philip gurgled and clucked his last, blood fountaining from his wombs onto the court array of guests' gowns, as his guards chased down the fevered Parsanius and stabbed him to gore in an onslaught of clanging metal, barks, and screams. Then it was over. I fluttered off, intellectually aroused, my palate satiated. So close he'd come, a psychotic drive to achieve, inured to everything but death. The man Philip lay pale amongst the wailing cacophony of incensed mourners. His son, his greatest legacy, a man who's surpassing him, was undoubtedly fueled by catalysts such as these. A son I would never, could never, sire or produce in my own time. It would be impossible. This was how I spent my waking hours, sifting the sands of history and living through men that mattered as they spent their last hours. But when I sleep, I return to the man, the me who is not me. I wonder, is he a man of significance? His impact not yet realized, his formative years spent in relative obscurity, like Einstein, a book clerker, or Bukowski, a factory worker. Socrates, a mind so great he would promulgate Western thought for centuries, began his life as a stonemason, then a hoplite. Was this man such a man? Surrounded by books, engaged in simulations, driven by a quiet frustration, a secret torment, Engaging with the collective, I remembered why I spent my time away. The vast hub of humanity, a trillion souls connected, their experiences open to one another through endless simulations with a level of interactivity at a neural level we could perhaps never achieve in a physical sense. The people here are vapid and craven. They live adult 
and listless, floating in fantasies and euphoric vacuums, so disengaged with the idea of being that they only are, never wishing to be. I try to engage with them, but I'm an introvert, even here, a wallflower. My intellectual pursuits are not in line with the banal scope of their shallow ways of living. Born into a world with limitless possibilities, insofar as the mind can explore, and all they can choose is the fickle, the base, a blasé usage of a godlike capacity. And so, I recede. Bark into time. Bark into things of import, of matter. Perhaps my enjoyment of these things is perverse, yes. I hate the world I am born into. A disenfranchised self-flagellator. But at least I can admit it. At least I swim the rivers of the past in search of meaning and answers, not simply hedonism, for hedonism's sake. Thoughtless, empty, stupid. I sleep again. It comes more frequently now. I'm sure that the man is someone I must visit, his vividness beginning to shine. Who is he, this man? His mail reads Harvey Levine. He is a resident of the 21st century United States. He works in technology. He has an interest in history and historical reenactment. When he is not working, he likes to engage in historical sims. He has a brash online presence, but isn't confident with women. Not yet. Not enough to feel comfortable dating or asking so much even. He has friends who are women, but they're just friends. He'd fuck them though, every last one of them, if he could. Sometimes he captures their faces from their work profiles, imposes them on the avatar actresses he masturbates to when he watches pornography. He doesn't feel shame, just release. Fantasy is normal, no. Still, it's a gross admission. Harvey's a good person. He takes medication for anxiety and some other imbalances. Or took, at least. Now he self-medicates with other substances. He feels more lucid now, unhindered by the fog of pharmaceuticals. One time, a long time ago, he was put in a quiet place. Brightly lit rooms, therapists and doctors visited him. He doesn't recall much, just fragments. He never had a father. His mother, she didn't like him very much. He felt like he didn't matter. Something had happened. He sought to make himself matter. He can't recall, but it's coming back to him. Slow, painful fragments. Neglect, abuse, a mournful finale. If my dreams are an indicator, Harvey is on a path. 
a trajectory toward a sort of greatness. I see him in dreams and know he is someone I must visit. And soon, I must have missed his significance when I perused the archives of all the men that mattered throughout all of time until now. On waking, I go to Harvey. Finding his stream is easy, such empathy and connection. When I take a seat in his head, amazing synchronicity, a feeling of electricity. What is his story? When will he pass into greater meaning? I go in blind. The room beneath his house, stacked books, history, science fiction. An old flat-screen television plays the Wizard of Oz on low volume. I remember learning about the history of that movie in a novel about the sins of 20th century cinema, the horrors that perpetuated behind the scenes on the main actress, Judy Garland. Old school Hollywood, meet for the grinder. It is near the film's end. Harvey is watching when something draws his attention. Movement in the far corner of his room, a shade shuffles forward from the gloom. A tight rope restrains it. I squint closer to make out the shape. A woman. Closer inspection reveals she's mad. Or driven mad. A muzzle quiets her. Eyes red and puffed from the endless tears. Emaciated but for the ovular bump beneath her faded t-shirt. The only item of clothing she wears. She tries to get the drip line taped into her arm loose, but it is hopeless. A liquid food bag and clear fluid hang from the steel dolly beside her. I notice she wears a diaper. She'll sleep again soon, once the sedative kicks in. She's lucky, Harvey thinks. She could have joined all the others. The ones in the tiles below, the hollow walls to the side. He can smell them. Almost. Plastic wrapped. Sweet rot. Maybe that's just his imagination. No, this one. Charlene, her name is. Was. He can't recall. He met her in a parking lot, loading her car with groceries. Thanked him for helping. She'd be late picking up her daughter. Young, he'd thought. Fertile, he'd thought. She never saw the needle, didn't scream because of the shock. She was sleeping already when he slid her into the trunk of her own car. And then she'd been his. Charlene would come to term with Harvey's legacy in her belly. His backup plan. He refused any neutering of his future greatness. But what is it? What could it be? How have I not heard of this man? If his significance is great enough to draw me into his life. A grand reveal. From behind the curtain steps the Wizard of Oz. He is just a man. His majesty a masquerade. This is the point where power reveals itself. In its mortality. Harvey smiles 
in conjunction with the shattering of the door behind him. FBI troopers storm inwards. Boots stomp. Wood splinters. Don't move. Don't move. Don't fucking the moment stretches in time. It slows, or perhaps I have slowed it, to inhabit it fully. Enjoy it from my unique perspective. Harvey reaches for the box cutter on his keyboard. Boom. close-range shotgun rounds. His innards spray hot over Charlene, laying flaccid on the bed in a buzz-cut roar of firepower. She is sedate now, probably for the best. Stacks of books tumble against khaki black legs and leather combat boots. The TV screen shatters as shrapnel arcs along the wall. Harvey begins to expire. Sharp, pained breaths. His lungs are perforated, stomach obliterated. Acids and his latest meal run from his colon. What remains passes out of him as his bowels loosen. I stay with him there, watching the approaching boots. The once full plastic containers of Harvey's medications spill about him the caps knocked free by the commotion. It is pretty, these patterns, as he begins to drift. As do I. Having witnessed Harvey's intent, I begin to awaken. Harvey wasn't the sort of grand dictatorial type that I usually inhabit. His imprint on history, however, well, it's hard to believe he won't be remembered. A macabre reminder of the dark past of American serial murderers. Then I realize I'm not asleep. I was awake when I came here. Not a dream this time. Harvey, he sought legacy in a profound and monstrous way. We were not so unalike, I consider. I enjoy that strange parity as we go our separate ways, drifting away, drifting home. I am a mind in a tank, partaking in an intellectual niche pursuit, perennially bored in a future far from now. And as it becomes dark, and I begin my return to my present, I wonder, I wonder.